It had been about three months since they left Egypt. God led them to the Sinai Desert at the foot of Mount Sinai. God told Moses to come up and meet with him. Moses went up with Joshua and left Joshua part of the way up. As he went on up the mountain, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God. God also gave Moses instructions on building the tabernacle and many rules and regulations that God's chosen people were to live by. Moses was up there on the mountain for 40 days. God's chosen people were getting impatient. They wanted to have some illicit fun. They told Moses' brother to make them a golden calf so they could worship it and have an immoral party. Herod did what they said. God knew and he told Moses he would destroy them. Destroy them all and start over with just Moses. Moses argued with God, pleaded with him to show mercy for the sake of his own reputation. He reminded God that he had promised to bless and multiply the seed of Abraham. God decided to show mercy. When Joshua and Moses were heading down the mountain, Joshua told Moses it sounded like a battle down in the camp. Moses said that was the sound of the people worshiping the foreign god. And when they got there, Moses got angry and threw the stone tablets down and broke them into many pieces. Moses burned the golden calf in the fire and ground it into powder and scattered it over the water and made the people drink from the water. Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? The sons of Levi stepped up. Moses told them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Take your sword through the camp and kill your brother and your neighbor. They went out and killed about 3,000 men. Everyone was guilty of turning against God, but only 3,000 of the hundreds of thousands were executed for that offense. It was a lesson for all who weren't executed. This was thousands of years ago, and that's how they did it. It seems harsh, and it is. But ever since Adam and Eve, everyone who had ever been born has died, or is going to die. Only two men in the Old Testament did not die, but left this earth alive to go into the presence of God. That was Enoch and Elijah. Everyone who is alive today is going to is going to the same going to die someday, except for those who are still alive when Jesus returns to this earth. We believers will live on with Jesus after we have died on this earth. God has appointed everyone a time to die. It happened that on that day with Moses, that it was time for those 3,000 men to die. God's chosen people still had a need for God's law. God told Moses to go up again on the mountain. Again, Moses was up there for 40 days. In Exodus 34, it is written that Moses neither ate nor drank anything during those 40 days. 
a man could not do that and live unless that time was spent in the presence of God. Again, God wrote his law on the tablets of stone. He also gave Moses instructions on the details of how God was to be worshipped and served by his chosen people. God's people were led through the wilderness, not without grumbling. This was a time for them to learn to depend on God. Some of them were slow learners. The time came to go into the land that God promised them. Going back to Egypt was not an option. Going through the wilderness was not supposed to be the end result. It was temporary. That was God's plan. It was a place to prepare the land, to prepare for the land that God had promised to them. Now it was time. God led them to the river that separated them from the land he wanted to give them. First, they had to send scouts into the land to learn about the geography and the people so they could go in and conquer it in the power of God. God had Moses to choose leaders from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 men. One of those was Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. Another was Caleb from the tribe of Judah. They scattered out the land for 40 days. The land was rich with an abundance of crops. All the Israelites had to do was to go in the power of God. He had promised them victory. They could take this wonderful place with houses already built and fruit trees and vineyards already planted. It was theirs if they believed God and did what he told them to do. Joshua and Caleb believed. The other ten men wimped out. Joshua and Caleb brought back a positive and inspirational report. The other ten brought back an attitude of doom and gloom. They didn't believe God would give them victory. They had seen the promised land, and now they wanted to go back to Egypt. The doom and gloomers convinced all of the other Israelites it was time to go back to slavery. In Numbers 14.22, God told Moses the people had seen God's glory and God's miracles in Egypt and the, in the wilderness. Even so, they have tempted God ten times and not listened to him. The following are some episodes from the books of Exodus and Numbers. In Exodus 14.11 and 12, when the Israelites had stopped at the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them, they thought they were going to die. They told Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out into the wilderness to die? You should have let us stay in Egypt. Then God parted the Red Sea so they could cross. And the Egyptian army was covered over by the Red Sea and drowned when they went to follow God's people. In Exodus 16:3, they complained about Moses, that Moses had brought them out to die in the wilderness when they had all the meat and bread they could eat in Egypt. They didn't think about the fact that God made it possible when they were in Egypt for them to have enough to eat. Then God provided them manna from heaven 
so they could eat every day when they were in the wilderness. In Exodus 17, 3, they complained that Moses brought them away from Egypt so they could die of thirst in the wilderness. Then God provided them water from a rock. They needed to see that God was their provider of all they needed. In Exodus 32, when Moses was in, on the mountain talking to God, the people got tired of waiting for him. They complained to Aaron and told Moses, uh, told him Moses had brought them out of Egypt and he was gone and Aaron needed to make them some gods, some idols, so they could be guided by them. Aaron took up an offering and used the gold to make a golden calf and told them this was the God that brought them out of Egypt. He made an altar for the idol and told them the next day would be a day of worship and fasting, feasting. The next day they offered up burnt offerings and began a day of partying, drinking, and orgy. God told Moses he would destroy all the Israelites and start over with just Moses. God, uh, Moses talked him out of it. Moses came down and broke the stone tablets of the commandments. He had the Levites go around with a sword to punish the people. They killed 3,000 of their fellow Israelites. Later, God gave Moses another copy of the commandments and continued leading the Israelites through the wilderness. In Numbers 11, 1 and 2, the people complained and God set fire to the camp. The people cried out and Moses prayed and God put out the fire. In verse 5, they said, Remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt and the melons and the onions and garlic? Now we get nothing but manna. God had thousands of quail to fly in for them to eat and they ate so much they got sick. Now in Numbers 14, 1 through 4, they are afraid to enter the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, and conquer the enemy in the power of God. They decided to choose a captain to lead them back to Egypt. Did they forget how God caused mass destruction in Egypt with the plagues? Did they forget that God destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea? Did they expect the Egyptians to welcome them with open arms and feed them their favorite foods? In Numbers 14.29, God said everybody's carcass would fall in the wilderness from the ages 20 and up. Only two people were excluded from this curse. They were Joshua and Caleb. Later on we, in the story, we see that even Moses died before they, were, before they went into the promised land. His brother Aaron died a few months earlier than Moses at the age of 123. Moses was 120 when he died. The Israelites were about a million people when they started on this journey. And now... They had to go another 40 years in the wilderness. That would be one year for every day that their spies had been in the promised land. Only the ones who were children and teenagers at the beginning of that 40 years and Joshua and Caleb 
would enter the promised land at the end of the 40 years. We Baptists believe there is an age of accountability. Children who haven't yet reached that age, who died before accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, are shown mercy by God because they were too young to make that decision. I have listened to Tony Evans on the radio. He's a preacher in Oak Cliff, South Dallas. He points to this chapter in Numbers as evidence of the possibility that the age of accountability is about 20 years old. Those Hebrews who were younger than 20 were allowed to enter the promised land. Their parents and everyone 20 and over except Joshua and Caleb, all those adults died in the wilderness because they complained about God leading them through the wilderness. Having known teenagers, I bet some of them also complained, but God led them into the promised land. Before they even began the next 40-year journey, many of the grown-ups died. They rebelled because they knew they would spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't want to do that. It had only taken a few months from Egypt to the promised land, but 40 years. They changed their minds about fighting those giants in the promised land. They were ready for war. But Moses told them it was too late to make that decision because God had taken that option off the table. If they went to war now, they would go without God's protection and guidance. They would lose the battle. Moses told them not to go, but they went. According to the last verses of chapter 14, they lost the battle. The Bible doesn't say here how many died. It doesn't matter. By the end of 40 years, all the grown-ups, except Joshua and Caleb, would be dead. In the last verses of number 20, Numbers 20, we see that Moses' brother Aaron died. He was 123 years old. Leading up to that event, God told Moses to take Aaron and his son Eleazar up on the mount up on Mount Hor. Eleazar was the heir of the priestly office. He had two brothers, Nadab and Abihu. <clears throat> they were no longer priests because God killed them. The priests were to use a special recipe or formula to make the incense that was burned in the Lord's temple. Nadab and Abihu had mixed up their own recipe. Maybe they were getting high on the smoke from that incense. Anyway, according to the 10th chapter of Leviticus, they offered strange fire before the Lord. Fire went forth from God and devoured them. He killed them. So Moses took Aaron and Eleazar up on the mountain. On the mountain, by God's instruction, they took all of Aaron's priestly garments off and put them on his son, Eleazar, because he was now the new priest. Apparently, Eleazar was one of those kids under 20 years old at the beginning of this 40-year journey. Now he was grown up. Now he was the priest, and Aaron died right then up on the mountain. 
Eleazar and Moses came off the mountain. The people mourned the death of Aaron for 30 days. <clears throat> After that, King Arad, the Canaanite, attacked the Israelites and took some hostages. The Israelites promised God that if he would give them victory over that king, they would destroy him and all his cities. God gave them the victory, and they destroyed the king and his cities. It was time to move on and march through the wilderness again. They got tired of it. Remember that God had told them that everybody who was 20 years old and up, when they started this journey back into the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, all those adults were going to die. They complained. They complained about the fact they were going to die in the wilderness. When they had complained about that before, it wasn't a sure thing. Now it was. All those adults were going to die in the wilderness, and they complained about the food. Manna every day. Baked manna, boiled manna, fried manna, manna over easy. But if God didn't keep feeding them manna, they would die sooner. Did they think about that? In the King James Version, it says the people were attacked by fiery serpents. We read that as something that hurts like fire. They bit with a venom that was really painful. We have fire ants. They, their sting really hurts. These snakes were killers. Many people died a painful death. Fiery serpents is an interesting description. The people in the time of King James might have thought it was reference to something like a fire-breathing dragon. The King James Bible uses the word dragon 34 times. 22 of those times are in the Old Testament. The other 12 are in the book of Revelation. The New American Standard Bible has dragon only 16 times three in the Old Testament and 13 in Revelation. The book of Job chapter 41 tells about Leviathan, a huge creature that breathes fire. Revelation 12, 9 calls the devil a dragon and calls him a serpent. The people in the time of King James believed in dragons. Knights went off to rescue people from dragons in the old stories. Today, we dig up those large bones and call them dinosaur bones. The word dinosaur was invented by a scientist back in the mid-1800s. When God sent the fiery serpents out to bite and kill people, they saw the error of their ways. They repented. They said they had sinned by speaking against God and against Moses. They asked Moses to pray to God for them and save them from their fiery fate. They didn't know how to talk to God. They depended on Moses. He was their intercessor. Moses did pray for them. Today, we don't have to ask a priest to pray for us. Our intercessor is Jesus. He paid the price for our sins. He is the Son of God, He is our Lord, and He intercedes for us.
Because of Jesus, we can pray to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus. Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. Back at Mount Sinai, Aaron made a golden calf. I don't know how to make a serpent of brass or a golden calf. Maybe Moses learned how to make images out of metal from his brother Aaron, who made the golden calf. These guys had some skills and tools the Bible doesn't tell us about. At the library, I looked at a book about casting objects in metal. You need a hot enough fire to melt metal. That involves using a blower or bellows to blow in enough oxygen to really heat it up. You can make an image from something that less permanent and buried in the sand, leaving a tube connecting the image to the surface. Then you pour in the molten metal, which destroys the original in the sand, leaving the shape in the sand that the molten metal fills. After it cools, you have your graven image. But we don't want to worship those things. After the people were healed by looking at the brass snake, it was saved and kept for about 700 years until it was destroyed by King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18.4 because people were worshiping it as an idol. Jesus talked about that brass serpent that was lifted up. Those who looked up to it as God told them to were, were saved from death. That was all they had to do, obey God and look upon the serpent. Jesus said the same thing would be true for those who, who obeyed God when Jesus is lifted up on the cross. That's in John 3.14. Look up to Jesus, not the serpent this time, but the servant, the one who took on the role of servant, who washed the feet of his followers, the one who died in our place. All we have to do is look to Jesus. Unlike the image of the serpent, Jesus is the image of God. He is God in the flesh. He is our priest who made the sacrifice, and at the same time, he is the sacrifice. Because he is the Son of God, only he could take on the sins of the world and die with those sins, because he himself had no sins of his own. Only he could die on, in that way, and then be raised from the dead. He conquered the grave. Those sinners in the wilderness looked up to the serpent to be saved from death because God told them to. Those who did not look up died a fiery death in the desert. When we look up to the servant of the son of the servant, the son of God, we are saved from a fiery death in hell. In Romans 10, 9, Paul said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. In the 23rd chapter of Numbers, we read that King Balak was the king of the Moabites, who was head of the mighty Israel, who, was, who had heard of the mighty Israelites, who had destroyed the cities of some of his neighbors, he decided to hire the famous Balaam, who was able to bless people and to curse people. 
He wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites. King Balak sent some important men to make the offer to Balaam. Balaam met with them and told them to wait and see what God would tell him. That night, God spoke to Balaam. He asked Balaam who these guys were. Balaam told God who the men were and what they were doing there. God told Balaam not to curse the Israelites because God was blessing them. Balaam told the men that God, what God said and sent them home. The king sent some more important men to try to persuade Balaam to curse the Israelites. They offered him great wealth and honor. Balaam told them it didn't matter if the king gave him all his gold. He still wouldn't be able to curse the Israelites because God wouldn't allow it. Maybe Balaam started thinking about all that wealth and honor. So he told the men to spend the night and he would see what God would tell him. That night, God spoke to Balaam again. He told him to go with the men to see the king, but only on condition he would say to the king exactly what God told him to say. So Balaam saddled up his donkey and went to see the king of the Moabites. Somehow this great spiritual advisor did not perceive that God was angry with him because Balaam had come back to see if there was a way to make a profit on this deal, even though God had told him he did not have permission to curse the Israelites. Balaam came very close to being killed by an angel of the Lord who was holding a sword. Balaam's talking donkey saved Balaam's life. Up to this time in his life, Balaam's donkey had never said a word, as far as we know, but this day she spoke up. As the donkey carried Balaam down the road, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing with a drawn sword ready to kill Balaam. The donkey left the road, going into a field, not wanting to meet that sword-bearing angel. Balaam, the great spiritual advisor, did not see what his donkey saw. He got mad at his donkey and hit her and tried to direct her back to the road. They went on a path by a vineyard with a wall on one side. The donkey saw the angel again and cowered up against the wall, crushing Balaam's foot between the wall and the donkey, and Balaam hit her again. Further down the road, the angel of the Lord stood in the way again. This time, the way was so narrow, the donkey couldn't turn to the left or the right. She collapsed right there, not wanting to go another step in that direction. Balaam got mad and hit her with his staff. Then, God gave the donkey the ability to speak. She asked Balaam why he was hitting her. If her talking surprised Balaam, he didn't say so, but he answered her question. He told her if he had a sword, he would kill her. She reminded Balaam that she had always been a good donkey, serving him for many years. He couldn't argue with that. Then Balaam saw the angel of the Lord with sword in hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell on his face. The angel told him that the donkey had saved his life. If she hadn't turned away, the angel would have killed him and let her go. Balaam told the angel he would go home if the Lord wanted him to. 
Balaam was told to go and speak the word of the Lord. Balaam went with the king of Moab, made sacrifices, and blessed the Israelites. Blessed them. That made King Balak mad because he was paying Balaam to curse the Israelites. He took Balaam to another mountain and again told him to curse the Israelites. So Balaam built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Again, told, God told Balaam what to say. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. This is what Balaam told King Balak. This is true. God is unchangeable. And yet, elsewhere in the Bible, we see that if one of God's people prays to God about a situation, God will seem to change his mind in answering the prayer. An example is when God told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom. At Abraham's request, God allowed Lot's family to be saved from that destruction. Hundreds of years later, God told Moses he was going to destroy the stubborn Israelites and start over with just Moses. God, Moses pleaded with God and talked him into being merciful, giving him another chance. When we pray, we believe God answers prayer. This situation with Balaam and King Balak was different. They were hoping God would change his mind and instead of blessing his chosen people, would curse them. Balaam and the king were not God's people. God was not going to answer their prayer to curse his own people. God said to his people, those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. I believe this still holds true. Traditionally, our country has had good relations with the nation of Israel since it was reborn as a nation back in 1948. Germany was cursed into losing the Second World War in part because they killed millions of Jews. Anti-Semites in today's world are causing a curse to fall on themselves.